Good morning, everybody. If you're not already there, go ahead and get your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be spending all of our time there this morning together. So uh, I'd like for you to look with me at the verses that were just read. Um, and uh, before we get into the Word, I just want to say good morning to everybody and thank you for being here. We've got a few people who haven't been here in a while, so good to see you guys back with us. And then uh, at least one or two who are here for the first time, thank you for your presence. It's such a blessing. Um, and know many of you would love to be with us but are joining us online as well. We thank you for, um, for being gathered together to uh, be able to worship God and be able to uh, think about His Word together. Um, we're in the midst of a study of the book of Philippians, the, Paul's letter written to the Philippians. And uh, we started this back in January, um, a series of lessons where once a month we're looking at a portion of this letter together. And we're talking about, specifically, we're trying to think about uh, what does Paul's letter teach us about how to think as a disciple of Christ? Um, I've entitled this, this series of lessons, Getting Our Minds Right with God. Getting Our Minds Right with God. And the idea behind these lessons is what Paul teaches in all his letters, that transformation and renewal begins in the mind. That is, if we want to experience, if we want to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed, the way that happens is through the renewal of the mind. And, and so what we're doing in this letter is we're looking at how much attention Paul gives to how we think, and particularly how to think like Christ. If you remember back to chapter 2, he talks in chapter 2 about having the mind of Christ or thinking like Christ. And so we're, we're, as Paul kind of gives us a glimpse in this letter into his own heart and into his own mind, he's showing us how to imitate the mind of Christ. And, uh, and so our goal in these studies has been to see what can we glean from the Word of Christ here that can help us to learn to think in a healthy way about God, about ourselves, and about the world that we're in. And, and I didn't have any clue how relevant these messages would be for us um, when, we, when we started into this, um, considering the things that we've experienced this year. And, and, and certainly, it is especially challenging to think right about God and to think right about ourselves and to think right about the world when everything seems to be going wrong. When everything seems to be difficult. When everything seems to be a challenge or a trial or a hardship. And yet, that's exactly what Paul was going through when he wrote this letter. In fact, that's really what Paul had been going through ever since he became a Christian. In fact, when Paul became a Christian, if you remember back to the beginning of chapter 3, he talks about how before he was a Christian, he really had it all. He had everything in life going for him. And yet he gave it all up. He lost it all for the joy of gaining Christ. And as we began looking at Philippians 3, we discussed how Paul putting his confidence in Christ really changed everything for him. That he gave up everything that he had and everything that he had attained. He lost it all and gave it up in order to know Christ because he found the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And he says in verse uh, 9 that he gave it up so that he might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. 
And then he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. In order, verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now here's what I want to talk with you about today as we look at the next few verses here. I want us to talk about how to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want us to talk about how do we press on toward the prize, which Paul says in, uh, in verse um, 13 and 14, that we are pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How do we receive the prize that God has in store for us? And what does Paul teach us about how to attain to the resurrection from the dead? Uh, I want to focus on three key ideas in this text. There's much more to say about this text than these ideas, but I want us to think about three things that Paul really stresses here in Philippians, and especially in this paragraph, that is really important in our mind. It's really important for how we think. The first thing that we're going to see here is that Paul emphasizes, he stresses, that we need to keep our eyes on the prize. We need to keep our eyes on the prize. It's a huge emphasis on that in, in this whole letter, but especially in this paragraph. We'll come back to that in a moment. Second thing we're going to talk about today is, that Paul emphasizes is to put our past in its place. To learn to put our past in its place. To learn to think rightly about the past and to use the past to benefit us or to bless us rather than to hinder us from doing God's work. And then finally we'll come to the last thing I want to talk with you about is how to press on toward progress in the present. That is, how to press on, how to live in the present, and how to press on toward progress in the midst of great challenges and trials all around us. So let's start with the first idea here. Keep your eyes on the prize. And I just want to bring you all the way back to the beginning of Philippians as we start out here and just show you a few times, I'm not going to show you all of them, but a few times where Paul has emphasized this idea of keeping the emphasis on the prize. Let's start in chapter 1 and verse 6. Notice that right at the beginning of the letter, Paul says this. He says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Right here at the beginning of this letter, we see that on Paul's mind is the day of Christ Jesus. And that day that he's talking about here is the day that Christ Jesus will return and will bring his people home to be with him. The day of Christ Jesus. Notice this again in verses 9 and 10 when Paul is praying for the Philippians. Look at what he says in verse 9. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. That is everything that we're working towards, growing in our love, growing in knowledge and discernment, learning to approve the things that are excellent and to live sincere and holy and blameless lives. All of that is to prepare us for the coming of that day of Christ, the day of Christ that is coming. Uh, look at chapter 1 and verse 21, where he points out a famous passage here. To me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, why is to die gain for Paul? Well, that's because for Paul, the prize comes at death. The prize comes after death. There's a prize that he's pressing towards that can only be realized through his death when he's reunited with the Lord. 
again in chapter 2 and in verse 16, he says that we are holding fast the word of life. We're to appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. See again here that on Paul's mind and in his heart is that day of Christ, that final day when the Lord is going to return and bring his people home. And I just want us to think about for a moment today, why is it so important for us to keep our eyes on the prize? Why, is it, why was it so important to the way Paul thought, to the way Paul handled trials and challenges? Why was it so important for Paul to be thinking about the day of Christ, to think about the prize that was ahead of him? Why is this prize so important? Well, um, a few years back, uh, maybe, maybe he's long been forgotten, but a few years back there was a famous, uh, famous Olympian, American Olympian, his name was Michael Phelps. I don't know if any of you guys remember him. It's been a little while since we've heard much about him. But he was a winner of 28 Olympic medals. 23 of them were gold. The most in the history of the Olympic Games, at least since they started keeping records of that. Uh, the most ever Olympic medals. And one of the things, when they asked Michael Phelps, what are the things that drive you to success? What are the things that keep you going when life gets hard? What, what do you do that helps you? And one of the things that he said, the first thing they said was, um, he said, keep your goals close by. He said, I keep my goals on my nightstand. I keep my goals in my closet so that every morning when I wake up, I can see what I'm pressing for, what I'm striving for, what I'm working for. And, he, and they were asking why that was so important. And he said, well, he said, not every day do I want to get out of bed. He said, not every day um, do I actually feel great. Some days I, I wake up and I feel terrible. And, and he has actually, in recent years, been open about his struggles with depression, struggles with mental illness, lots of things that, that he's wrestled with. But his point was, he said, so, so, so I want to see exactly what I'm doing. And I want to see why I'm putting myself through all this. Right then when I wake up, I want to know what am I doing and why am I putting myself through this. He's got his goals. He's got the prize in front of him so that he can know what he is striving for. Actually, during the civil rights movement, uh, this song, Keep Your Eyes on the Prize, became the anthem that was sung all throughout the movement. It was, it was adapted from another African-American spiritual, and it became the anthem behind the movement. People were singing this. Oftentimes they would gather in churches or places before they would go out and march, uh, and before they would go out and, 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 and peacefully demonstrate, and, and they would sing this song. Why? Why did they sing it over and over again? Well, because for, for, there was a prize that was ahead of them, that, that press for freedom was a prize that was ahead of them that motiv was motivating them to continue to suffer and to continue to go through hard thing after hard thing after hard thing. When you're suffering the loss of everything, you need to know exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it to help you endure the hardships that you're facing. And so what is the prize that we are pressing on toward? What is the prize that we are working toward? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24 to 27, um, Paul says this. He says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we 
an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. Why don't you think about that? Paul says, hey, every athlete, they do all this work. I mean, if you, if you look at Michael Phelps' workout regimen from back when he was uh, as an Olympian, it is crazy stuff. What, I mean, what he ate, what, the way he worked out, the number of hours he would put in swimming. Uh, I mean, it was a crazy, crazy training regimen. You think about how, what's going to keep you going. Well, uh, he, realized, he realized that there was a prize ahead of him that he was working for. Um, and for him, that was to uh, be successful, to receive these medals, and to change the way people perceive swimming. Uh, you know, the thing about receiving a gold medal is, though, it can be stolen. Many people's medals have been stolen after winning awards like that. They've been stolen by others. Um, not only that, it can decay over time. And then, of course, at some point, there comes this time where you die and you can't really take it with you. No matter how many medals you had, no matter how many you won, no matter how great, you can't take them with you once you're gone. You see, they did it to receive a perishable wreath. Athletes back in the day, they would receive this crown and it was like, it was basically like leaves, a, a crown wrapped in leaves on their head, which was beautiful and wonderful. It was a sign that you've been victorious and you've won the race. The only problem is the crown didn't last very long. It was perishable. You think about this. If you think about how hard these athletes, some of you guys have been, we were talking last night with some of you guys about the NBA playoffs. And you think about how hard some of these people train to receive this award, to receive this trophy. That really, once you think about it, I mean, once a little time has passed, nobody cares. It's not that big of a deal. And yet people are training and working and straining time after time. How much more should it be true of us? As disciples of Christ, we have a prize that's imperishable that we are pressing towards. And so our running, our straining, our work is not aimless. James chapter 1 and verse 12, James says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You see that? What's the prize that's ahead of us? James says it's the crown of life that God has promised to all who love him and to all who will endure the tests and the trials that they are facing. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Not just a crown of life, it's a crown of glory. It's, it's, a, it's a symbol of what we are going to experience when we get to share in the glory that God himself has. In the glory that Christ Jesus has at the right hand of the throne of God. We are receiving an unfading, notice this wreath is not perishable, it is unfading, the unfading crown of glory. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. That is, there's a prize ahead of us that's even greater than what we can understand or imagine. We can't fully comprehend it. it we haven't fully seen it yet. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he truly is. You know what the prize is that's ahead of us? It, the prize is that we will one day be like him because we will see him as he truly is. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Again, John says it this way. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Paul says this. At the end of his life, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know what the great prize ahead of us is? Well, we're going to receive a crown of righteousness. But it's not so much the crown that is so important as the fact that we're going to receive the appearing of the Lord. We're going to see him as he truly is. We're going to see the Lord appear. And then as he, Paul continues in 1 first, in first Thessalonians 4 and 16 and 17, he says that after that, talking about after the Lord returns and descends from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will, will be the first to rise. After that, he says, we who are alive will remain and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. You know what the prize is that's ahead of us? It's the knowledge. It's the, it's the hope that one day we will always be with the Lord. We'll be in his presence. We'll be with him. We'll be able to know him. That's what Paul said in Philippians 3, right? Whatever things were gained to me, these things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of what? Of knowing Christ. Of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. You know what the real, the greatest prize that is ahead of us? It's the joy of gaining Christ. It's the prize of, uh, of having a relationship with Him, of being with Him, not just for a moment, not just seeing His face for an instant, but being in His presence for all eternity. And I want to tell you, if we're going to be able to endure the wilderness, if we're going to be able to go through these hard things and keep pressing on, it starts there. Keeping our eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. Number two, uh, put your past in its place. Notice in uh, chapter 3 and verse 13 that Paul says, Hey, even though my eyes are on the prize, it's not that I've already obtained it, verse 12, or I've already become perfect. Even Paul himself says, Hey, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived yet at what God intends for me to be. I haven't arrived yet at what the goal is here. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. And I want you to think about that idea, forgetting what lies behind. Because this is a really important part of making progress is learning to think and handle rightly our past. And by the way, there's a lot more to say on this subject than, than we have time or I'm going to take the time to say in this particular lesson. But I do want to say this, that, I, that actually I think for many of us, the past is a big part of what hinders us from making any progress. How to think rightly about the past, how to handle the things in our past is a big part of what hinders us from being able to reach forward, strain forward, and press on toward the goal. And I want to clarify here what I, what I, first, what I don't think Paul is saying. 
when he says, forgetting what lies behind. Um, it's clear to me from this letter and also from other letters that when Paul talks about forgetting what lies behind, he doesn't mean that you just literally forget everything that's happened in the past. Well, how do we know that? Well, actually, if you just back up a few verses, remember that in verses 4 through 6, Paul was actually talking about his past just a few minutes ago. He was talking about how he was a um, Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, circumcised the eighth day uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal of persecutor of the church. He's speaking about his past, right? So clearly when Paul talks here about forgetting what lies behind, he doesn't mean that you just forget that it actually happened or forget that it actually existed. Um, I'll just say this too. It, it doesn't mean that we refuse to ever consider the past or that we refuse to uh, think about it in ways that we could learn from. In fact, Paul often reflects on his past, both his failures and his accomplishments. You see here in verses 4 through 6, Paul reflecting on some of his pre-Christian accomplishments. You can read the book of 2 Corinthians. You can see in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul reflecting on some of his uh, Christian accomplishments. There are many times where Paul looks back at things and, and reflects on them because he's learning from them or he's using them to help other people. And so the, the, the idea here is not that we just forget about the past and act like it never existed, never speak about it, never think about it, never acknowledge it. No, that's not what Paul means by this. In fact, Paul even will reflect on his failures. Let me show you a place where he does that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9. Listen to what Paul says there. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. This is the text in which Paul was talking about uh, how Jesus, when he died and was raised from the dead, how he appeared to many different witnesses. And he says in, uh, in, in verse 8 that last of all, Jesus, as to one timely, untimely born, Jesus appeared to me also. And then listen to what he says about himself in verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Once you think about what you're seeing here in this text, Paul is reflecting on his failures, reflecting on his sins, reflecting on some parts of his past that are pretty ugly. And I would guess would have been hard, painful memories for Paul to ever think about. And yet he's remembering them. Why? Well, because there are cases in which remembering the past actually is helpful for us. It's helpful for us to reflect on our failures, to appreciate more deeply just how gracious and how good God has been to us. Paul will say similarly in 1 Timothy chapter 1 how he was the chiefest of sinners, how he was the chief of sinners, that the Lord had, 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 had entrusted him with service in spite of the fact that he was the chief of sinners. So Paul, Paul didn't ignore or forget entirely about his failures. So if forgetting what lies behind doesn't mean that I just act like my past doesn't exist, well, what does he mean by this? Well, I think the idea that Paul is stressing here is that to forget what lies behind means that I'm not going to allow my past to hinder me from making progress. I'm not going to allow my past to hinder me for, from making progress. And I'll just say that this is hard for us, uh, and it's hard for us on a couple of fronts. On the first uh, front, I think it's hard for us because 
um, many of us are stuck in our past failures, stuck in our past mistakes, stuck in past sins, and we haven't been able to move past them. We haven't been able to, to, to figure out how to, how, to, how to reach beyond them. In fact, some of us, we have lots of regrets uh, about many things that we've done. We've made a lot of mistakes. We've committed a lot of sins. Some of the same sins, we've done them over and over and over again repeatedly. And even though we've repented of them, and even though we've confessed those sins, and even though the Bible says that if we repent and if we confess those sins, we'll be forgiven, some of us still, we're, we're having a hard time trusting that, believing that. We're still having a hard time moving past them. And this, this is where I think uh, verses 7 through 11, Philippians chapter 3, back in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, I think are really, really helpful. Where Paul talks about one of the things that he gave up was a righteousness or a confidence in the flesh. We talked about this last month. And instead, he has a righteousness now, he says in verse 9, being found in Christ means that we have a righteousness not of our own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And I just want to say this to you. If you're plagued by past sins and past failures that you've repented of and you've confessed to God, and yet you're still struggling with them, how do I move past it? The only way you're going to move past it is trusting in a righteousness that is not your own. A righteousness which comes from God through faith. The truth is that all of us have done things in our past and all of us have sinned in ways that we cannot make up for, no matter what we do. We cannot reverse them. We cannot, we cannot, uh, we cannot remove the consequences that have come from our sin. We cannot remove uh, the, the, the pains that they have caused us and caused other people. We cannot make them disappear. But what we can do is put our trust not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus. You see, what the gospel teaches is that Jesus Christ came to die so that our sins would be removed. So that our sins would be taken away. So that if we trust in Him, if we believe in Him, if we die with Him, then our sins would be removed as far as the east is from the west. So, have, so far have your sins been removed. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. That's what the scripture says. And if I want to move past my past failures, it begins with recognizing, putting my trust in Christ Jesus. In a righteousness that comes from God through faith. Putting my trust not in my own performance, my own past performance, but putting my trust in what God is able to perform and what God has performed through Christ Jesus. And some of you may be saying, well, I, I believe that. I trust in Christ. Um, yet I'm still kind of struggling with past stuff. Um, and I do want to say this because I think there are times, I don't know if you've ever said this or thought this, but I think there are times, and I've heard, I actually heard some people uh, say, say this kind of thing, um, that actually, you know, uh, I know God forgives me for this. I know that God has washed away my sins. I know that God has made me right. Uh, God forgives me, but I still can't forgive myself. I still can't forgive myself. And I want to say this to you to consider. Be careful with that. If you're saying, I know God forgives me, but I still can't forgive myself. I still can't move past it. Be careful. Because it may be that there's an idol 
It may be that there's an idol that you failed whose approval is more important to you than God's. If God is sitting here and saying, your past, is, your sins are removed, you are cleansed, you are washed, white as snow, you, your, your sins have been removed from me and I see them and I remember them no more. If God is saying that, and trusting in God and pleasing God and the prize of being with God is what I'm striving for, then that should be enough to satisfy me and to help me to move forward, to press on toward the goal. And so we need to be careful here. I'll say this, though, too. It's not just sometimes our past failures that keep us from making progress. In this case, in the context of what Paul is saying here in Philippians 3, I don't think he's talking about forgetting his past failures and his past sins. He's talking about forgetting his past successes, his past achievements. And I want you to think about that. If anybody should have a right to step back and say, look at what I've done outside of Jesus Christ, wouldn't it have been Paul? I mean, think about it. Yeah, yeah, he had that bad past. But look at the things he's accomplished since then. Look at all the churches he's planted. Look at all the new brothers and sisters who come to the Lord because of him. Look at how he's, I've labored more than them all, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Look at all the work I've put in. You know, if ever there was a time to sit back and relax, you'd think it would be this time. Paul's in prison. He's stuck. You know, I, I'm, I wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel. Now I'm just stuck in his prison cell. Maybe, maybe the Lord wants me to have a season of relaxing, you know. Maybe it's time for a season of rest to just take it easy. And yet Paul does not do that. And you've got to ask yourself, Why? Well, and that's because Paul was forgetting what lies behind. Paul didn't view the things that had been accomplished as something that had made him righteous. Paul didn't view the things that had been accomplished as something that had proven him to be good or, or pleasing to God. Paul viewed all of his accomplishments as things that God had done for his glory through Paul and through other servants. There were things that God had done for his glory. And since there was more work to be done, it didn't matter how much Paul had already done. There's work in front of him. And so, let's forget what lies behind. And I want you to think about this. That sometimes, we can get in, kind of stuck in this too. We can say, well, look at, look at what I've done. Look at what the Lord's done to me. Look at how much I've changed. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not doing the things I used to do. I've made a lot of progress. Look at the people whose lives I've impacted. Look at all the people I've helped. Look at the people I've served. Look at the people I've blessed who've come to the Lord because of my work and whatever. And this can become all about us. And we start to say, well, you know what? The Lord must be satisfied with me. Well, the truth is that the Lord is not satisfied with you. And he's not satisfied with me. If Paul could not be satisfied with where he was spiritually then surely the Lord was not satisfied, and surely we should not be satisfied either. Truth be told, all the good things that have been done were not done by us, they were done by the Lord. And truth be told, there is always more work to be done. There's always more work in front of us. And so, to forget what lies behind, not only does it mean that I'm not going to despair over my past failures, it also means I'm not going to rest on my laurels. I'm not going to rest on the things that I've already accomplished. I'm not going to rely on my past achievements. I'm not going to rely on that as a means of avoiding work that still needs to be done. And you think about this. This doesn't just happen as individuals. This can happen collectively as churches, too. We can sit back and say, wow, look at what the Lord's done in the past couple of years. 
Look at what the Lord's done with this tiny little group and look at how the Lord has grown us and how he's blessed us and how he's changed us and how he's matured us. Look at all the things that God has done. And it's tempting to take the focus off of what is ahead and look back. But there's much work ahead of us. There is much work still to be done. And we just started reading the book of Nehemiah. This is a helpful book for us. Because if you look around, we are living in days like the days of Nehemiah. The city that we lies in, that we lie in, is in ruins. You look at the lives of people around us, and people are broken, people are hurting, people are desperate, and they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to, how, how to find an out from all the sorrow and from all the challenges and from all the hardships. Many people in our city right now are mourning great losses. Others are broken by their sin. Many are fighting, frustrated by the challenges of life. And they don't know how to find meaning and purpose. And they're fighting because they keep drinking out of broken wells that hold no water. We know where the well is. We know where to send them. We know how to give them living water. How foolish would it have been for the Israelites in Nehemiah's day to just say, Hey, well, remember the good old days. I know the city's destroyed now, but, you know, it used to be beautiful. Remember back in the day when Solomon built that temple? That was pretty amazing. No, there's work to do. Forget what lies behind. Let's reach forward. Let's arise and build. Which brings us to the last idea here that I want to stress. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 again. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice that for Paul, keeping his eyes on the prize has not led him to, to, to put his head in the clouds. Keeping his eyes on the prize is not, keeping your eyes on the prize is not just about thinking about the life to come. It's also thinking about what is right in front of us, what, it, what is happening around us, and it affects everything about how we think, how we work, and how we live here in this moment, in the present moment. Think about this idea of reaching forward. Uh, Brian's translation that he read, straining forward, I think is what it said. And that, I like that idea better because that, that really is the idea. It's the idea of stretching intensely toward a goal. That's the idea of reaching forward. Notice the next verb that he uses there. I press on. That's the word for pursuit or persecution. That's the idea of you're, you're driving, you're straining, you're working towards this goal. You're in pursuit of a goal. You see, being a Christian, I spoke a couple weeks back about um, patience and perseverance. But being a Christian is not just about patience and perseverance in a passive sense. It's about patience and perseverance in an active sense as we press on toward a goal. The implication here is that there is progress. If you think of the life of a disciple as a journey, think of it as a journey up a mountain. And that's kind of the picture here that Paul is using in a sense. At some points along the way, as you're pressing up the mountain, you know what happens? You start to get tired. You start to get weary. The hot sun beating down on you wears you out. Um, the, uh, the heavy rains 
the, the strong winds. At some point, as you're going up that mountain, it may be all you can do just to hold on. Just to hold on and not fall back down the other side. And in some ways, I feel like that's kind of how this year has been. Just trying to hold on for a while. Like we went through a season where we're just trying to hold on and not fall back down the mountain. But think about this. There will be seasons like that as a Christian. But ultimately, patience and perseverance is not just about holding on. It's about pressing on. It's about reaching forward and straining forward to what is ahead. It's about pressing toward progress. And I want you to take a moment to reflect um, and to think about this, to ask yourself today. Have I grown satisfied with my spiritual progress? Have I grown satisfied with our spiritual progress as, as a church family here? Or am I straining forward, pressing on towards greater and greater heights? You might say, well, what, what does it even mean? Straining forward, reaching forward? What are we supposed to be straining at? What does it look like to be pressing on? Well, I would cite here, just think about the example of Paul's life. Think about Paul's life as an example. In fact, he even says that in verse 17. Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. That is, look at Paul's life and see what does it look like to press on. And think about this. For Paul, if anybody could have said, I've already done enough, I've already helped enough, I've already written enough, I've already encouraged enough, I've already prayed enough, it would have been Paul. And yet, Paul did not become aimless in his doings. There was still an aim for every action that he took. Think about this. When he worked, he worked with the aim of providing for himself and being able to minister to others who were in need. When Paul was texting or when he was writing letters, uh, as they did back then, he wrote every word to edify and to build up the people that he was writing to. When Paul had opportunities to speak to other people, he made the most of every conversation. He spoke. His words were like oracles from God. He was speaking forth the word of God in every conversation, speaking forth words of truth, what was needed in the moment. When Paul served, in whatever role he served in, in no matter how small the role, he served with the strength that God supplied him. He kept on serving. Notice that even when Paul was in prison, if ever there was a time to turn inward and to say, let me think about myself. Let me, let, let me focus on self-love right now. Let me focus on healing and making sure that I'm taking care of If ever this was the time. But what is Paul doing while he's in prison? He's serving. He's thinking about others. He's praying for others. He's checking on others. He's loving others and serving them. So ask yourself, what, what do I need to be straining at? For some of us, for some of us, I think we need to be straining ourselves to learn more carefully the scriptures. So that we can be sure that what we're pressing toward in life, the things that we're pressing toward in life, are actually things that God wants us to press toward. Are actually things that are pleasing to God. And actually the goal that leading us towards that eternal prize of being with God and Christ Jesus our Lord.
For some of us, we need to press more strain into learning the Word of God. For others of us, we may need to be straining more diligently, pressing on more diligently in prayer. So that we're more sober to fight the temptations and the trials that we're facing around us. To fight against the attacks of the devil. To overcome the temptations and tests that we're facing daily. Many of us are being tested and tried in far greater ways this year than we were last year. And the only way that we're going to survive these tests and the only way that we're going to endure these tests is if we're devoting ourselves to prayer. So that we are soberly aware of what is going on around us. And we're not vulnerable to the attacks that the devil is bringing against us. Praying without ceasing is really important in a time like this. And we need to be straining to grow in prayer and to grow in soberness and awareness of what's going on around us. I'll say this also, though. For, for many of us, we need to be straining ourselves, pressing to serve in more meaningful ways to the people, our brothers and sisters, our neighbors in need. And this is especially needed, I think, this reminder is especially needed in a time like this. Um, you know, city life brings both tremendous blessings and tremendous challenges. But this year, it's like many of the blessings have been minimized and the challenges have been exacerbated. I don't know if you guys have felt that. But like many of the worst things about city life have really come out this, this year and, and really, I think, hit us in hard ways. And many of the really great things about city life we haven't really been able to enjoy um, as much this year. It's been uh, tough in that way. So what do you do, though, when you're getting nothing out of the city? Well, what many people do, if, if there's no benefit in the city for them, they leave, right? Go somewhere else, more enjoyable, something easier, something more, you know, something more, something more comfortable. But if you think about it, if, if our life is about being servants of Christ, then the city is a great place to be right now. Full of people in need. Full of people who are desperately seeking something. And we're here. God has put us here for such a time as this. We believe that we have been put here on this earth for opportunities to help others in need. If that's the case... What better time to serve than now? There's no better time than now to be busy straining ourselves to serve others. I'll tell you this. I don't know of any other time in my lifetime where people are more confused, more frustrated, more discombobulated and wondering what's going on in the world and where should I be heading, what should my purpose be, and what, what should I really focus on. This is a time for evangelism. This is a time for us to love and to serve and to reach out and to strain ourselves to reach people that we haven't yet reached with the gospel. And by the way, I thank God that some of you have already been finding ways to do that. New ways, creative ways in hard times like this where it's harder to develop relationships than ever before because of the distance and because of the, the challenges between us. But actually, many of you have been finding new ways to serve and to love and to help and to preach the gospel. And I want to encourage, I want to encourage all of us as a church to work on straining ourselves to share the good news of Jesus Christ right now. There are men who are desperately looking desperately need it and they're desperately searching and they don't know where to find it. 
And we have the well. We have the source of life. Ultimately, the goal here is resurrection. And since Christ has laid hold of me by his grace through faith, I keep pressing on with an aim towards that end. Notice here what Paul is saying. The idea of straining forward and pressing on, what we're saying is pressing toward the goal does not mean that I abandon all concern for the things that are going on around me. And just focus on the things that are above. Pressing toward the goal, what it means is that we do not walk or run aimlessly. Everything that we do is focused on this goal, on reaching that goal of being with Christ and attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Every exercise, every meal, every workout, every training session, every conversation, every interaction is done with purpose. Our time alone is spent with purpose. Our time with brethren is spent with purpose. Our time in the world is spent with purpose. All of it with an aim toward reaching, making progress toward the goal. We press on toward progress in the present. Because our work is not yet finished. And even though we're going through challenges, challenges are never an excuse for not straining forward. In fact, think about it this way. It wouldn't be straining if it wasn't challenging. Straining implies the fact that it's challenging. Pressing implies the fact that there's going to be some resistance. It wouldn't be straining for us if there weren't trials, pressure, resistance, challenges in life. But let us, like Nehemiah and the Israelites of old, let us arise and build. For we have not yet finished the work the Lord has given us to do. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. Put the past in its place. And keep pressing on toward progress in the present until that day. The day when we'll see the Lord's appearing. The day when we receive the prize. The unfading crown of glory. And we enter into the joy of the Lord. And we are always with Him. Let us press on toward that goal. Until that day comes. When the Lord returns and brings us home. Amen.